Amen. Thank you, Sam. Praise the Lord, everyone. Wow, what a great day, man. I, I'm, I'm so glad that you are here in God's house. I want, to, uh, I want you to pray for my, my family. They're all sick today. And they're not sick of me, they're just sick. Uh, but I, I want you to, to pray for them that uh, I don't know if they picked up a bug at school and now they've infected everybody. And, you know, Jessica walked into our, our room this morning and I thought she was Morgan Freeman. Her voice was so low. So, uh, so I want you to, to pray for them if you would. Uh, Carl, it's good to see you. Had surgery. He's back in God's house. So... God's been good to you, and it's going to continue. That's awesome. You're going to be dunking the basketball before long, man. It's going to be, it's going to be great. Uh, if you're visiting, man, I just want to welcome you. I'm so glad that you are here. We have Aaron and Aaron, and, uh, and I'm glad you guys are here. And, uh, and we have the newest member of our church. Aria is here somewhere. I don't see her. Um, but anyway, Aria... Um, Oh, there she is, way up there in the balcony. So, uh, Ar- you know, if you haven't seen Aria, uh, it, you might be able to catch her glimpse because uh, Kimberly, her aunt, is not letting anybody touch her or even look at her. So, but, uh, but if you can, uh, you welcome her to God's family. The Lord is good, isn't he? Man, we had a, we had a great time uh, this week. We were at uh, our general, or our district uh, meeting this week, and I, uh, Reverend Hughes, Pastor Chuck, did a great job uh, leading us this week and talking about our, our state and, and the direction that we're going, and it was just great. Prior to that, we had Irma. Everybody loved Irma, right? So it seems like we've, uh, we've gone through uh, different uh, phases, but I want to I wanna ask you something. Have you ever read started reading a book and decided you wanted to read the back of the book because the front of the book started off so different you thought am I going to waste my time reading this whole thing so you read the back so and then if you thought like the ending then you said okay I'll read the whole thing you know I've done that before I I have to make a confession of all the classes in college and seminary and everything I can't recall actually reading the entire book cover to cover while I was in class. Maybe after the class was finished, I'd go back and read it, but I, I, I'm a master at figuring out what the highlights are and what I need to know to pass that test. So, uh, so and I think kind of a lot of us are that way, and, and, and the reason why I, I chose these two passages of Scripture, because the first passage in 2 Timothy chapter 3 talks about the beginning of the end of, t- end of days. And I was really worried about not being able to, uh, to preach this sermon today because the world was supposed to have ended yesterday. <laughs> and I thought, well, man, I'm not going to be able to preach this, Lord. Uh, but I'm so thankful he gave me a, an extra day. But, but when you start looking at 2 Timothy chapter 3, and if you have a Bible, if you'd like to turn there, I want to focus on that for a moment. It's pretty daunting. It's, it's, in fact, it's dark, it's gloomy, it's full of despair and hopelessness and all the things that Christians don't like and don't want. And we're looking for a, a, a life of joy and, and happiness and, and goodwill toward one another. And, and when you read 2 Timothy chapter 3, it's just like, man, that's direct opposition to what we stand for, what we're lo- looking for, what we're living for. 
So I wanted to read Revelation because that's the end of the, the book. Guys, that's what we're shooting for. That's what our goal is. That's what our aim is. Is We're not just serving Christ because we love him and he loves us. But Christ said, those that endure to the end shall be saved. When there's going to be a day that if you're a passionate follower of Jesus Christ, if you know him and he knows you, there is going to be a day that you're going to walk on those streets of gold. You're going to be able to walk down Hallelujah Avenue. You're going to be able to you know, see Jesus face to face. That needs to soak in. But, you know, I, 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 do know, I do know that going through Irma, which was our first hurricane, I'm, we're now a pro. <laughs> Been through earthquakes and tornadoes and floods, but man, a hurricane's a little bit different. And, and, you know, if you ask me to compare a hurricane and an earthquake, I'd say I, I choose the earthquake, and here's why. Because by the time you realize it's an earthquake, it's over. Man, I had days and, and days and weeks of newscasters saying, Irma's coming, Irma's coming. And, and I'm looking at the sky, and it looks beautiful, but they're saying, Irma's coming. You know, and, and then you start seeing little warning signs, you know, the, the atmosphere chart starts changing, the, and the barometer drops, and there's different, and animals just like disappear, and you think, something's happening, but I don't know what it is. And then Irma shows up, and you say, oh, this is what a, a hurricane is. You know, there, there were signs. What Paul was telling Timothy in, in, in his second uh, letter to him in 2 Timothy chapter 3 is, he said, Timothy, here's the signs that trouble's coming. Here's the indicators. Here's the things you need to look for for the end of days. And if you would look with me in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, he said, you should know this, Timothy. I like that. You should know it. Don't just read it and forget about it, but know it, memorize it. Those that are, that are native Floridians, they know what to look for. They know how to prepare for their houses. They know how to get ready for a hurricane. They know what to do. In fact, I've had several say, make sure you have plenty of water, make sure you have batteries, make sure you have a generator, make sure you have all of this, or if you don't have it, make sure you know somebody that does. You know, and, and, and the native Floridians, they weren't worried at all. It was all of us transplants that were scared to death. Uh, but they knew what to do. And Paul's telling Timothy, Timothy, you need to know this because this is going to happen. And when you see these things, get ready. So he said, Timothy, that in the last days there will be difficult times. Difficult times. For people will love only themselves and their money. I want you to, to, as we read these and as we talk about these, I want you to, to look at life around you. Look at life in our community, in our state, in our nation, and around the world. And ask yourself, are these indicators prevalent today? Where people will love only themselves and their money. 
They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful, unthankful. They have no regard to what people have done and sacrificed in the past to give them what they have today. They are just ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. I just read an article uh, this week of uh, some protesters in California that actually took one of the statues of a of a priest that helped establish ministries all up and down the west coast and they had decapitated the statue and defiled it and because nothing is sacred they will be unloving and unforgiving that unloving simply means that they will have no natural affection left it will be gone they will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and have no interest in what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. That pleasure will take the place of serving God. That when given a choice between doing what they want to do and doing what they feel they need to do for God, they're going to do what they want to do. They will act as if they are religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. If there was ever a more damning indictment it's that last sentence that they will have a form of godliness as as one translation says but they're going to deny the power they're going to say that they're followers of christ but there's no transforming power in their life that before they met christ and after they met christ that there is no difference now, I, I am just going to tell you what my heart feels, that when I met Christ, there was a divine difference in my spirit. I'm blaming that on Chetty, because he used this last week. <laughs> that there was a change in me. That the, the power of the presence and the Spirit of God transformed my life. That, that I was no longer that old person, but I was a new creation in Christ. And, and, the, and that transition going from the old man to the new man began to take effect. And, and, it's, and it's that slow process and that, that consistent process of sanctification in our lives that, that there is a power of the Spirit of God. There is a power in the gospel to set people free. When we sing the song, He is able to break every chain, I really believe He is able to break every chain. I have seen drug addicts walk into a church bound by drugs and walk out free in the name of the Lord. I have seen alcoholics come in and be delivered. I have seen 
prostitutes being delivered. I have seen people that are bound by sin, that they had no hope, that they could not save themselves. But when they came in contact with the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, He transformed them and changed them into a new creation. I believe in the power of the gospel. Yet in the last day, there are going to be those that say, I know Christ, but they're still bound because they no longer believe in the transforming power of the gospel of Christ. They will reject the power that could make them godly. Look at that last sentence. You must stay away from people like that. What Paul is telling Timothy is, listen, it's going to come, and there are going to be those that you've got to to separate yourself. You've got to stay focused on, on the power of the gospel. How many believe that the gospel transforms lives? We have we have seen it. We have seen it in our own life. And and yet you're going to see these things, and when we begin to see these things, when we, when we begin to look at them, this is not after the church is gone. He's saying this is while the church is here. And so that's the beginning of the story, and we read the end of the story. But let me go through the entire story with you, if you would. The beginning of the last days, it talks about 2 Timothy 3. Also in Matthew 24, Jesus said that there is going to be a variety of different things that happen. One of those will be earthquakes in various places. And, and I know that we've had a few earthquakes in the last few days, but do you know how many earthquakes we have had in the last 24 hours around the world? 99. And in the last week, we've had 731. And in the last year, 40,000. In fact, if you look at the record of, of earthquakes, it's easy just to Google it and, and look at it. There is a shift in the number of earthquakes from the 50s to now, and it keeps increasing and increasing and increasing, especially the high-magnitude earthquakes. So Jesus said all of these things. Paul said these things are going to happen in the last days. So you say, well, what happens after this for those that are following Christ? Well, the very next thing is, in, this, in my interpretation, is the rapture of the church. The Lord is going to return for his church. So, so we are going to be able to hear that trumpet and we are going to be meet the Lord in the air. We're going to be transformed. The Bible says in 2 Thessalonians that the dead in Christ shall rise first. And they're going to be transformed. They're going to have that new body. This mortal body is going to be transformed into an immortal body. And I don't know about you, but I can't wait for that. That's going to be so great. You know what I like about that, that, that new body more than anything else? And you say, well, because we're always going to be young or we're always going to uh, you never feel pain or anything like that. And, and I love that, and, I, and I'm thankful for that. And I'm glad that that new body is never going to die. But what I'm really thankful about that new body is I'm finally going to get rid of and shed my carnal nature. That that nature that's in each and every one of us that opposes God, we're going to be like Christ. We're no longer going to have that nature to wrestle with, to fight with, an opposition within us. We are going to be like Christ. 
I don't know about you, but that just thrills my soul. That's the next thing to happen is, is the Lord is coming back. And, and I, I like the bumper sticker, the Lord is coming back, and boy, is he mad. Be honest, I don't think he's mad. I think he's excited. He's anxious. He's, he wants to, us to be with him far more than we want to be with him. He's anxiously waiting us. He loves us. He cares for us. So after the rapture, that's when that, that great tribulation happens. That, that however long you, you know, seven years, 14 years, however long you perceive that to be, there is a time that's going to come right after the church is gone, is lifted up. Revelation 12, 12 is really a fascinating scripture. It says that, that the devil is going to be cast down to earth. Ephesians 2, 2 says that he is the prince and power of the air, the spirit that now works in the, in the children of disobedience. So he has some kind of ability to be in the air. He blocks our prayers. That's why the Bible talks about praying consistently and all the time. And, and, and he has some some ability but at this point when the church goes up he comes down and and the bible says he's going to be cast down to earth and he is going to be on a rampage because he knows he has but a short time and you look at all the violence and the things in the world today with the church here can you imagine the church being gone and the and the adversary being sequestered just on the earth. It's going to be a time that you and I do not want to be here. So if you know the Lord, you need to thank Him for that. If you don't know Jesus Christ, man, this is a day to know Him. This is a day to, to get your heart in line with Him. So that great tribulation, and, and after that tribulation, when what is it, two-thirds of the world will be destroyed. There's going to be chaos and catastrophe like, like humanity has never seen. And, and then after that seven years when the Antichrist steps up and he's trying to rule the world and it looks like that there is no hope just at the very end, Christ is going to come back not for his church but with his church. And I love that. And he talks, the book of Revelation talks about him riding a white horse. And, and I hope that you're an equestrian, that you like horses because you're going to get to ride one. And, uh, and you're going to get behind Jesus and, and Jesus is going to lead and we're going to come back with him. And, and I love what Revelation 20 says. It says, I saw an angel come down from heaven having a, a great chain in his hand and he takes the devil and he binds him in that chain and he casts him in a bottomless pit for a thousand years. And you know what is great about that? You and I get to watch that. You and I get to see that. You and I get to look at the adversary of our soul bound and tossed into, the, into that bottomless pit. Think about all the times that the adversary of, the, of your soul has tried to stop you, has tried to destroy your family, has tried to destroy your friendships, has tried to destroy your marriage, has tried to turn your world upside down, has tried to defeat you and beat you and destroy you, and you're going to be there, you're going to stand there, and you're going to see this angel bind him up and pick him up. I'm going to be honest, when I, if I get the privilege of standing right there by him and he has the devil up here I'm going to say hey angel shake him one time for me and then throw him in shake him really good oh, that's going to be a great time isn't it see we're reading about the middle of the book 
Then there's a thousand years of peace. The devil's gone, thousand years of peace. And you say, well, what are we going to be doing? Well, the Bible says we're kings and priests. At times, we're going to be helping somewhere. We're going to be doing something. You're not going to be sitting on a cloud playing a harp. If we're going to be sitting on a cloud uh, playing an instrument, I hope I get the lead guitar. Uh, I want to do something else. Well, we're going to be helping in, in, in our lords, our kings, kingdom. And after this thousand years, after this thousand years, the devil's let loose for just a small season. And here's what the amazing thing is. And you say, well, humanity, you know, if it wasn't for the devil, they would, they would be okay. After a thousand years, humanity turns on Christ and us. Again, isn't that incredible? And then the scripture tells us that the, right after that, Revelation 20 says, 2012 says, and I saw the dead, both great and small, rich and poor, stand before the Lord. This is what we call the great white throne judgment. Somewhere down there, after, after that thousand years of peace, when men and women revolt against Christ, God's going to say, enough. And time as we know it will cease to exist. And everyone that hasn't gone in the rapture that it has not been part of the bride of Christ from the beginning to the very end will stand before the Lord and the book of life will be opened and their lives will be judged in front of everybody. And you say, well, that's going to take a long time. You have to remember, time is no more. It's non-existent. And we'll be there to watch that. Scripture says this is the second death, and blessed and holy is he that has part in the first resurrection. After that, the second death, this has no power. My friends, make sure you're part of the first resurrection. Make sure you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Make sure that you're passionately following him. Because when you're at this, and you're being judged... It's not going to go well. Scripture tells us that, that those that are, are found here are going to be cast into the lake of fire where death and hell are going to be cast into a lake of fire. And here's something that, that I don't preach on it probably near enough and I don't believe many people don't preach on it near enough. But hell is real. And death and hell will be cast into a lake of fire. And the lake of fire is not temporal. It's eternal. It's eternal torment. And I want you to, to think for a moment, and I'm not wanting to be a downer. I'm not wanting to depress you. But I am wanting you to have a, have a sober conversation with yourself. If you know Jesus Christ... You're going to be free from this. But how many people do you know that you love, that you care for, that do not know Jesus Christ? And do you want to see them in eternal torment? Because this is what is going to happen. And there's no second mistakes, there's no mulligans, there's no do-overs. 
when you're here, you're here. It's appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. And we as Christians need to understand that, that this is coming. And this is going to happen to a world that doesn't believe in Christ. And this is going to happen to a world that is resisting Christ. And only those that have submitted their will to the Lord and, said, and asked Him to forgive them and be their Lord and Savior are going to escape this. And I don't know about you, but I know we have this, you know, this ministry called 321 and the three or three people that are in your life that, just, that do not know Jesus Christ. And that is something that, that pulls my heart. I, I look around and I, and I, and I see people in, that just pass by in the mall or pass by on the street and, and I don't want anyone to be here. And that is something that needs to grip my heart. If I want to get serious about reaching the three that God has put on my heart so they can experience the joy and the deliverance and the good news of the gospel, I need to be sober enough to, to be able to get on my knees and pray and say, God, this is coming. I see the storm clouds uh, beginning together, and I don't want any to perish. So, Lord, help me, use me, touch me that I be, may be able to minister and that your spirit can reach others. Use my hands, use my feet, use my voice. God created me that right heart that will be, be able to go out and effectively reach others with the gospel. So after that, the great white throne is the new heaven, new earth, wherein dwells righteousness and this is the end of the story. And they lived happily ever after. Wow. And that's us. So we're going to live happily ever after. If you're a passionate follower of Jesus Christ, and you're pursuing him, you're going to make the rapture. You're going to be there. And you're going to be able to, to walk on those streets of gold. And you're going to be able to see Christ face to face. And I rejoice in that, don't you? But can I ask you a question? What should our response be to this? What should our response as a, as a church be? See, we're, we're, we're a church in, in what we call redevelopment. That means it was developed and now we're redeveloping. It's like, like refurbishing. You've been furbished. Now you're refurbishing. I love the word furbish. I don't know why, I just do. But we're in redevelopment. We're redoing. Because sometimes when you, when you have a business or you have to retool you have to rethink you have to re-gear and reboot for the next generation that's coming because the things that appealed to my grandparents have no effect on me and I'll be honest the things that I like my kids just don't really care for my granddaughter loves MacGyver <laughs> so we get to watch the reruns my kids not so much church is no different so why we are redeveloping 
rethinking. What should our response be? What should we redevelop? What should we redo? What should we return to? I know I've mentioned that this was my first hurricane. So, so when, the, when the city said, hey, you can come down and get some free bags of sand, I thought, that's sweet. Bags of sand. I've seen the movies, the floods, waters rising, and, they're, and we're building, and in my mind, I could see us all working, building this big, big deal, you know. And so I go down there, and they give me 10 little bags. And I thought, that's not going to stop anything. I was really disappointed. But the good thing was I get to fill them up myself, right? <laughs> they did provide the bags. So I go and, 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 I, and I get the bags and I walk out of the city office and over, over to the other side they have these big bins of sand and, and little places where you can take the shovels and fill up your sandbags and tie them up. So I get over there and what I see is a just a group of people that was so diverse. There were old people and really young people. There were a variety of different ethnicities and backgrounds, you know, and, and there were people from, all, from different places around the country that had moved here. The New Yorkers were really easy to pick out. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and... and uh, you know, so I was sitting over there, and I was, I was going to wait my turn to, to get in so I could put sand in the bags that they had given me because I was wanting to get ready because I, I could see the storm clouds coming. And, and I looked around, and I saw these old people, older people. I'm being really kind. <laughs> no, they were well in their 70, 75, 80, trying to take a... Uh, shovel and shovel sand into a bag and they couldn't do it I mean I was scared to death you know this one lady was going to poke somebody's eye out with into the shovel so I said hey I, I have a plan I said why don't I do the shoveling because I've had Motrin this morning my back is not hurting so I'll shovel and, and you guys hold the bags and then you can tie them up and then we'll I'll help you carry them to the car and it was really incredible. It was one of those surreal moments where you know, I'm shoveling sand, I'm doing what I can do, and they really couldn't do what I could do, but they were doing other jobs as well. And you had all of these different people from all different walks of life and all different ethnicities and all different uh, phases of life, and we're all working together. And at that moment, in that time frame, we were one because we were all working on the common goal, the storm's coming. And we were working together to prepare, to make sure we all had enough. And then I looked over while I was shoveling sand, and, and I noticed a bunch of younger guys. And, and that's becoming a bigger uh, demographic group for me, the older I get. Uh, but I saw younger guys in their 20s and maybe early 30s. And they saw all these older people trying to help themselves and they couldn't do it. And yet they offered nothing. They were just sitting there on their phones and every once in a while would cast a 
disparaging glance, impatiently waiting to get their own. They weren't interested in helping anybody else. They just wanted what they could get. And while I was shoveling sand, helping this group and seeing this group, the Lord spoke to my heart. And this is what he spoke to me. He said, this is my church. This is effective church, and this is non-effective church. Effective church is when people from all walks of life, in all stages of life, in all stations of life, are working shoulder to shoulder doing what they can do because they see the storm coming. And this is not effective church. This is when everybody is out for themselves getting what they can do and what they can get. And they're going to this church because it offers what I want and what I think I need. And there's no regard to help others. And here's my challenge to you today. Which camp do you want to be in? When we talk about redevelopment, I don't know about you, but I want to be found shoveling sand, helping as many as I can, doing what I can to the best of my ability. Because it doesn't take a rocket scientist, no offense, Edmund, It doesn't take a lot to realize when you read 2 Timothy 3, a lot of those things are already happening in our culture. And you say, are we close? Yeah, I think we are. Can it get worse? Absolutely. So the question of whether it's going to get worse or not, that's irrelevant. It will. It's going to. Scripture predicts it. The question is, what are you going to do about it? What are we going to do about it? Are we going to shrivel up and die? Are we just going to try to take care of our own? Or are we going to go out and try to do our part where we are with those around us and encourage and strengthen and lift up anybody and everybody that will hear the gospel of Jesus Christ? My friends, I believe that the Lord is calling us to real, authentic Christianity. True Christianity that speaks to the very core of who we are. Because when in that moment, and there's one thing I loved about Hurricane Irma. This is one thing I absolutely loved about it. There was a moment in time that not one person that I talked to was worried about their career, was worried about their job, was worried about uh, where they were going to go eat dinner or anything else. They were focused on helping themselves and their families to be safe from the storm. And if we're going to redevelop anything, let's redevelop that, that consciousness in our mind and heart that the storm is coming and we have a job to do and let's toil 
for the Lord. Reaching deep into our own being and praying and caring and serving and loving those that are around us to try to get them to be safe and secure. If you're here today and you do not know Jesus Christ, you've never bowed your knee, you've never asked him to be your Lord and Savior, you've never said, Lord, here I am. I can't do this. I know the storm's coming. I know I'm going to be lost without you. I need you. If you've never done that, I'm going to give you an opportunity today to make him your Lord and Savior because he is knocking on your heart's door and the only thing you have to do is open up that door. There is not a greater decision you could ever make in your life than surrendering your will and your heart and your life to Jesus. And you say, well, what does it matter? Eternity matters. You say, well, I'm okay right now. Ezekiel says this, if you can't contend with the foot soldiers, how are you going to deal with the horsemen? And, And if you can't serve God here when it's easier, how are we going to serve him when it's harder? My friends, today is the day to make your life ready. Maybe you've known him and you've kind of just kind of let, let life just kind of influence you and direct you and push you and you've been more focused on this life, the temporal life, than you have on the eternal life. Today is your day to say, I'm going to redevelop my life by surrendering it again to Jesus. I'm all in. I see the storm. I see the storm coming. I don't know if it's today, tomorrow, next week, next year. I don't know. But what I do know is when that trumpet sounds, I want the Lord not looking, not to catch me staring at the clouds, but shoveling sand. I want the Lord to find me working and ministering to others. Would you stand with me? Let's ask you if you would just bow your head just for a moment. Next week we'll go right back to our Lord teach us to pray. But today, today could be the greatest day in your life. I would encourage you, if you don't know Jesus, would you make your calling and election sure today? And you say, how do I do that? You have to believe that he is, that he is alive, that he has the power to forgive. He has the power to pardon. That's the reason why he came and died. He's our substitute. He died for are wrong and when we ask him to be our Lord and Savior it's his sacrifice that takes our place 
you're here today and you do not know Jesus Christ and you would like to make him your Lord and Savior, I'm going to ask you to do something bold and daring. I'm going to ask you right now, wherever you are, just to walk down to this front and have somebody pray with you. You don't have to live with the pressure and distress of this life. You can be set free. greatest decision you will ever make. Father, we come before you today as a body of believers. Lord, we know you love us. But Lord, we love you. And there is no other place that I would rather be than right here. With this body of brothers and sisters. So, Father, we're asking today as a, as a body of believers, as a group, to help us understand and always remember in heart and mind and spirit the times in which we live. May a desire to see those that don't know you, those we call lost. May it burden our heart. May it grip us to the point that we're willing to spend time with you in prayer, asking for your spirit to work in their lives. May we get beyond the, the fear of rejection and the bruising of our pride and begin to share the good news of the gospel with anybody and everybody that will listen. So, Father, I know that you have great plans for this church. I know in my mind's eye I see many, many coming to faith in you but father today right now may you give us a keen clear understanding an understanding of the times in which we live Help us to understand what's really important. And where we should occupy our time. So Father, I'm praying today for a transformation of mind, heart, and spirit for each and every one of us. 
May it be said of us as it was said of you when they found you in the temple and you simply replied, I must be about my father's business. May our father's business, our heavenly father's business, have priority one in everything we do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.